at the center of, of a healthy church is the worship of Jesus. And so the way the Apostle Paul says that, he says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Right? So he's saying that, that the church at its center is to be beholding the mercy, the grace of the gospel, and responding to that, to that with absolute unconditional surrender to Christ. And that's mushroom, and that should be at the center. That that is really at the center, not at most of them. Uh, churches would say that is at their center, but that is, that is really at the center. That center is going to then create a culture in the church. And that culture is going to be a culture of humility. So this is what he talks about around verse 3, where he's saying you shouldn't be thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, but you should be thinking of yourself with sober judgment. He's talking about humility. Humility is neither thinking more of yourself than you should or less of yourself than you should. It's thinking rightly about yourself in light of who God is. And that gives you this humility to interact with one another in a way that then brings about a healthy functionality. So if the center's right, that center's then going to develop this culture of humility. And in that culture of humility, something's going to happen in terms of function. And that function is there's going to be a diversity of gifts in the church that are going to function in unity. So that's where we've been so far. The center, the culture, and then the functionality of the church. That's all groundwork. That's all foundation laid that Paul has done in Romans 12 to get us ready to understand rightly the actual spiritual gifts that he's going to list in this chapter. Now, he lists seven different gifts. They're not the only gifts that he mentions. You can go look at Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12, and you see a couple of other lists that uh, or our additions have some, some of the same gifts and some additional gifts. But for our purposes, we're looking at these seven gifts in Romans 12. Um, the, it's interesting that the, really the, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does when he inaugurates the church is give the church the ability to speak, to preach the gospel. Uh, this, is, this is what we celebrate today. This is Pentecost Sunday. And so what happened on, on Pentecost, well, let's just read it. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This is on the screen behind me. Here's the day of Pentecost arrived. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Right. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so this is 50 days after the resurrection. They've been waiting for the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus told them to do. Wait, 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 wait. Don't do anything yet. Don't do anything. Fifty days later, Pentecost, all, all, all the Jewish pilgrims are there in, in, in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit shows up. And what does he do? He gives them the power to speak. And these other tongues that they're speaking are actually other languages. And people from all over uh, the, the nations have come to Jerusalem. And they're, they're, they're hearing the gospel in their own language. So uh, one of the main things that the Holy Spirit wants to do is to give those in the church the ability to speak and to speak the gospel. That's the first thing that he gives them the power to do. So, uh, what is prophecy? This is the gift that we're going to look at uh, today. When you hear that word, you may have different reactions to it. If you're a, a Christian, you may start thinking, okay, uh, Old Testament prophet, like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, uh, or if you've been in some different church settings, uh, there may be a lot of talk about prophecy and people giving words from God and, and different things like that. If you're not a Christian, you might think, is that like a fortune teller? Yeah. Is that Nostradamus? Like, like prophecy, what is that? So uh, I think it would be helpful for us to take a brief look at prophecy in the Old Testament because it does inform what we understand uh, prophecy in the New Testament. Of, of, is different to some degree. Uh, but let's take a look at Old Testament prophecy and then we'll take a, a look at New Testament prophecy. So Old Testament prophets were speaking the very words of God. That's important for you to understand. The Old Testament prophets were speaking the very words of God. Here's a couple of examples. 
where we would draw it uh, from in the Bible to, to Moses in Exodus 4.12. Uh, God says this to Moses, Now therefore go, I will be with your mouth and, and teach you what you shall speak. Moses, that we understand, wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Like, like, like God was giving him the ability to speak the very words of God. Another just example, I mean, we, can, we can pull out hundreds of examples like this, but uh, here's one that we call Jeremiah. He's a young young man. He's being called to be a prophet of God. This is what God says to him in Jeremiah 1.9. The Lord put his, out his hand. He touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. <coughs> Same kind of idea. The prophets of the Old Testament are speaking the very words of God. Wayne Grudem is a professor and writer. He says this, The Old Testament prophets claimed repeatedly that their very words were words which God had given them. To deliver. The New Testament also attests to this. When it talks about the Old Testament, it talks about the Old Testament being the very words of God, even Jesus Himself. I found this uh, this this week. I've read this passage so many times, and uh, this did not dawn on me until I was actually reading Peter's book on prophecy. And uh, Jesus in Matthew 19 is filled with questions about marriage and divorce. And uh, he answers them out of Genesis 1 and 2 when he's answering these questions about the uh, divorce and marriage. And he says, uh, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So what Jesus is doing there, he's combining some passages from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And he's asking these questions about marriage and divorce. But what's interesting, he says that the one who made them said, and then he says, therefore, the man shall leave his mother. When you go back to Genesis 2, and it's not like a direct quote from God. It's not like, and God said, therefore, the man leave his mother. It, it is scripture. Like it, it's, it's just the writer writing some commentary about what has just happened in Genesis 2. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his mother. And so Jesus is saying, those words are the words of God. Genesis 2, and 3, and 4, and Exodus, and Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and on and on and on. These are the words of God. Uh, New Testament writers uh, attest to this as well. 2 Peter 1.21 says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Same kind of idea. He's talking about the Old Testament, and he's saying this is not just something they made up, it's something that God gave them the words to speak and eventually to write. Now, when you get to the New Testament, you don't have prophets going around writing new Bible uh, books. What you have are apostles. Now, apostles, uh, literally that word means sent, like a messenger. And so they're sort of the well, New Testament version of the Old Testament prophet, except uh, the name is changed, and it's changed for a purpose. While the Old Testament prophet is speaking to the nation of Israel for the most part, the New Testament apostle is giving the gospel to the nations. I mean, we see this in Pentecost Sunday, right? Like, like you look, look at the very beginning of the church, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and what happens? He starts speaking other languages, and other nations start getting to hear the gospel. And so now these have been given the task to write, to speak the very words of God are now called apostles. And they were the uh, original uh, 12 that were followers of Jesus. Um, Jesus explains to them that that is indeed going to be their role. John 14, 26, he's explaining to them uh, how this is going to work. He says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Was Jesus just coaching them up, getting them ready? Okay. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to raise. He's going to ascend. The Holy Spirit's going to come at Pentecost. And they're going to be able to speak the words of God. It's going to be given to them through the Holy Spirit. 
Peter definitely understood that to be true. He writes in his book, 2 Peter, uh, chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostle. See what he did there? He, he, he put together this, this prophet's category and the apostle's category. And he's saying these are the ones who are speaking the very words of God. The apostle Paul understood this to be true about his writing. Uh, Galatians 1, he says, uh, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul, let, letting us know that he has been tasked with speaking the very words of God, the gospel. Uh, Paul goes on in Ephesians to let us know that this is the foundation of the church, these uh, apostles and prophets. So Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So he's helping the church understand, okay, this is who you are. You're, you're like a building. You're like a household. That's not familiar. Mercy house. Okay. And what are you built on? You're built on this foundation of what? The prophets and the apostles. He's talking about Old Testament. He's talking about New Testament. And he's saying the cornerstone, the most important part of that foundation is what? Or more specifically, who? It's Jesus Christ. And so he's letting us know that the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles are testifying to Jesus Christ. And so this is the foundation upon which the church is, is built. Now, working out of which of those books uh, is in what we call our canon. It's, canon just means rules. It's sort of the, the norm uh, of, of whether a book is in or whether a book is out. It's, it's a fairly organic process. Uh, especially the, the New Testament, where the apostles are thinking, we're going to be around for a few months, maybe, maybe a year or two, and then Jesus is going to come back and wrap this thing up, and we're going to head out. Right? We're going to head, head to heaven. And then 78 AD rolls around, the temple is destroyed, Israel scattered, and they start realizing, we may be in for the long haul here. And so they begin to write letters to churches. Those letters begin to circulate. Right? And so maybe one church has the book of Matthew, and they bump it to someone from another church, and they go, hey, what's that uh, Colossians thing you got there? What, what is that? And they go, yeah, it's from, from Paul. And man, God's been using this, and we've been built up in Christ, and people have been coming to, to faith. Hey, did you, did you give me a copy of that? And then they have Matthew and Colossians. And, and so there's like this circulation. Well, 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 then people start saying, well, this is the books that are in, and these are the books that are out. And then the church is like, whoa, wait a minute. We, we've got to have uh, some kind of consensus regarding what is in the canon and what is not. And so some three things that they use to try to figure that out. So one, and most importantly, was apostolicity. Right? Is the person an apostle, or do they have access to an apostle? So like Matthew and John, they're apostles. But Luke, not an apostle, but he had access to apostles. So, so things like that. Uh, the other is conformity. Conformity to orthodox or right teaching about Christianity. So there's a sense of, of what was right about understanding of who Christ is, and salvation. And, and so there was also the vetting of books via whether or not they conform to right doctrine. There's also what we'll call Catholicity, meaning is there a broad acceptance of the book between the, within the churches? And so is, is, is it from an apostle or someone that has access to an apostle? Um, it, is it something that it conforms with what we understand to be Orthodox Christian teaching? And is it broadly accepted uh, within the church? If you want to know more about the history of that process, you should have come to my small group last week, because that's what we talked about. Uh, but I can also give you some uh, some information if you want to uh, dig into that a little further. So the result of all of that, we come to a place where we believe 
But every word in the Bible matters. Not just that those words are communicating ideas, that the actual words in the Bible matter. Right? And that they're inspired by God. The very words. Uh, the, the, the $10 phrase for this is that verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal meaning every word is inspired by God, right? Or that the words matter. And then plenary that every word matters. And inspiration that, that it actually is inspired by God. That God through the Holy Spirit was superintending the writers, the human writers, such that the words are inspired. Um, you can read uh, a, a scripture that actually describes the 2 Timothy 3.16. So you know this scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. But the scripture is inspired. But what we have in our 66 books uh, is the very word uh, of God, which means that everything else has to submit to the word of God. Everything else has to bow the knee. Every other writing throughout all of church history, whatever it may be, that doesn't mean that those writings aren't helpful, that we shouldn't read them, we should. Those, those writings will actually help us to better interpret the scripture, of a better understanding of what scripture is, is teaching. But it all must bow the knee to scripture. Reformers in the 16th century uh, had their little mantra of sola scriptura. And so, but what they meant by that is that, that, that Scripture is the primary, the, the ultimate authority, and that everything else submits to it. Any kind of church doctrine, any kind of writing, any kind of thinking, all of it submits to Scripture as authority. The Bible is our Pope. The Bible is our Supreme Court. That's how we understand Scripture. It is the ultimate authority. So, all that said, um, what is the gift of prophecy in the New Testament? Is it, do I, can I make up the 67th book of the Bible? Can I come up with the very words of God and then maybe offer it up to some council and see if maybe they'll accept it? And then the next edition of the ESV, I'll have the book of Robert. <laughs> no, you can't do that. Uh, even in the first century, there was a distinguishing between those that were speaking the very words of God and contributing the very books that became uh, our New Testament and those that were uh, little p uh, prophets in the local church. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, which was an incredibly messy church, having all kinds of problems, and part of that was that they were struggling with uh, those that were saying they had to get the prophecy, and those that said they had to get the tongue speaking, and, and they were drawing attention to themselves. In fact, Paul tells them uh, that they're like a clanging gong, you know, it's like just drawing attention to yourself. And so he's trying to coach them up and how to appropriately exercise their gifts. And so he says this in 1 Corinthians 14 37 to the prophets. He says, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. They might think, that sounds arrogant. Paul, who do you think you are? He thinks he's an apostle. And he is. He is. He understands. He's been given this call by God to write the very words of God. And so if the, 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 the little pea prophets there in the local church in Corinth are saying, oh, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. He's like, don't listen to them. They're not from God. They're not submitting to Scripture. They're, they're not approaching Scripture as the ultimate authority. So it's different in some ways, and it's the same. So it is communicating uh, from God to the church at some level. Uh, it's, it's, the prophet is still being used as a, as a mouthpiece of sorts from God to the church. But the prophet in the New Testament is using merely human words to communicate thoughts that God has brought to mind. 
I'll say that again. I stole this from Wayne Grudem's book on prophecy. <laughs> Using merely human words to communicate thoughts that God has indeed brought to mind. I mean, this is what you're trusting is happening right now. Right? That God has been working in my brain. It'd be scary for you, but he's been working in my brain this week. I've been reading and thinking and praying and that he's been bringing thoughts to mind. And I've been writing those words out that communicate those thoughts. But I haven't had many of you come up saying, can I have your notes? Can I have your notes? And then start painstakingly going over every word that I've written in my notes. I'm thinking, this is the word of, it's not. This is not the word of God. It's a mess in here, okay? But there's communication happening whereby God is, is, is speaking through me. At some level, we trust, we hope, we pray. Uh, we can even see this in Acts, the first century. Uh, we got this guy named Agabus, who's a prophet uh, in, in the New Testament church. In Acts 11, we can read, uh, These days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined, uh, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, I don't know if you looked in the table of contents in your Bible, there's no book of Agabus. It'd be kind of a strange name, but um, there's no book of Agabus. Nobody's writing down this guy's words and putting it in inspired scripture, but Agabus was getting a message from God. And God was saying there's going to be a famine. And there was a famine. Right? It was miraculous. Miraculous communication to this guy. Now, later in, in chapter 21, he'll go up to Paul. And he'll tell Paul, uh, don't go to Rome because they're going to bind your hands and they're going to kill you. So please, 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 please don't go. And Paul said, thanks but no thanks. I'm going to go anyway. <clears throat> now, that would not have been okay to an Old Testament prophet. Huh. An Old Testament prophet said, thou shalt not go to Rome. You would say, yes, Lord, I am listening. Don't, you know, don't, don't kill me. Right? I, I, I'm going to do exactly what this person is saying. And that's not... What New Testament prophecy is like. It's not speaking the very words of God, although it is miraculous communication whereby the thoughts are being communicated with merely human words. Uh, Paul seems to back this kind of thinking up uh, uh, again, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, he's describing the prophets and how they ought to function within like, a public setting. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And you can sort of see the Corinthian chaos that's going on in this church. People will not speak one at a time. It's like kindergarten. Right? One person's speaking, another person's like talking over them. No, I have something from God. I'm going to speak. And Paul's like, all right, let me, let me give you some, some coaching here. Just one by one. Take turns. <laughs> and, 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 and so, but, but look at what he's saying. That he, he's saying that, that there's a sifting process. Listen, these prophecies need to be weighed by the others. And then later he says, the prophet is subject to the spirit of the prophet. So, so he's saying there's a weighing, a sifting, a discernment when somebody is saying, God's bringing thoughts to my mind. I'm communicating them with my human words. And, and this is from God. And he's saying, you need to sift this. You need to weigh this. Now, how would they weigh it? Uh, weigh it against scripture? Weigh it against scripture. So if, if someone is saying, God's speaking to me, and, I, and I'm going to share this with you as an individual, or as a group, or as a church, and it's against Scripture, we can just dismiss it out of hand. Like, no. <laughs> it's not from God. It's not from God. That's, that's the sifting, that's the way, that's the discernment. There's also just a, a, a prayerful discernment going on. 
right? And, it, and the idea is that the, the whole congregation, I think when he says the other, but the other's way, I, I think he's, he's saying, but, but the congregation way, what's being said, sifting and prayerfully discerning whether or not this is uh, something that is from God. And, and I'm hoping this is what's happening right now. Right now. Right? Like, like I'm speaking to you from Scripture, and I'm making my case here, and you better go home and read your Bibles. You, you better be praying and thinking about this stuff and saying, yeah, that's, that's right on, that's scriptural. That, or, no, something's off there. I'm going to investigate that. I'm, I'm going to go further into that. And so that's, that should be happening here. It should be happening as well our Bible study. So, so I, I think, you know, God's bringing thoughts to mind. Right? The, the, the small group leader has been preparing and praying, and they're supposed to be praying and, and working and, and reading, and, and, and God's bringing to mind how to lead that group and questions to ask and things to say. And, and then people that have done their, their prep work for that small group, they're coming together and they've got thoughts that God's placed on their, their minds, and you're speaking to, to one another, you're building each other. That's prophecy. That's prophecy. God's speaking in that, in that time, but you're also waiting. You're discerning. You're, you're not just accepting everything just blindly. You're thinking, is this scriptural? Is this from the Lord? Is this, does this fit with what I know about the gospel? Right? This is what should be happening in a, in a conversation with a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Right? You, you, you're sitting over coffee, the person's sharing an issue of Christy, and, and, and you're like, you know, doing your best to prayerfully think about what Scripture says about this and how you can deliver some truth in this moment, and, and they're considering what you're saying and they're thinking about it. Like, like this is this is this way, this is this sifting uh, process. And Paul says everyone should be doing this. Everyone. The first verse in uh, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may. Prophesy. Isn't that interesting? He's saying you should desire spiritual gifts. Because you know, you, you love the body. You want to see the body built up. And then he says, especially prophecy, right? Why is he saying that? Because he wants us to speak the gospel. And to do so in a, in a way that's that's timely, that, that is applying it to the very person's heart, the very moment where you're having that conversation, the only way you can ever do that is if God is bringing to mind the power of the Holy Spirit, how to deliver that word to that person or to that group. And, and this is how people find out about Jesus. This is how people grow in, in Christ. Is when the gospel is being spoken, not just from the professional Christian up front on Sunday morning, but all the Christians, all week. Every day, that God is bringing things to mind to speak so that the gospel can be proclaimed. Well, one of the reasons that we study these gifts is, is not only so you can discern what your gifts are, it's like, oh, these are my gifts, and now I don't have to serve anymore because that's just not my gift. You know? like, like, no, I'm an encourager, so that's all I do. No, that's, that's not what we're driving at here. Um, but it is helpful for you to know what your gifts are, but even more than that, to, to see the gifts as at least like a baseline how you function in the church. Because we all do all these gifts for the most part. So, so Paul's saying everyone at some level prophesies. Right? You speak the truth of the gospel in a way that's, that's time that's appropriate because God's spirit is helping you do that as it brings thoughts to mind, but, but we're also called to serve. Everyone's called to serve at some level. Some, some have a unique gifting in that area, but, but everyone's called to serve. Everyone's called to teach at some level. Some have a unique gifting in that, but, but at some level, everyone's called to explain the truth of the gospel so that it's, it's clear. That's teaching. Everyone's called to that. Uh, everyone's called to exhort or encourage. Right? There's no Christian that's like, I saw my gift, so I don't encourage. No, no, that's that's part of everyone's function in the body, although some have a greater giftedness in that area of encouragement. All are called to give. No one can say, well, oh, I don't give. 
I've been waiting for you to humble yourself and ask And so just this, this natural, supernatural kind of way of speaking the truth of the gospel. And that can be done when you're talking to your five-year-old. That can be done when you're talking to your friend at work who's not a Christian and you're like, I don't know how to share the gospel with this person. Lord, help me. Or you're talking to your friend who's a fellow brother or sister in Christ. And they're, they're pouring their lives out to you, their heart out to you, and, and you start to think, oh, my goodness, i got to get the pastor, i got to get the pastor, I don't know how to do this. I, no, but do that first. Like, ask, ask the Lord, like, what is it? What can I say here? And he may say, get some help. <laughs> That's okay. But, but understand the kind of capacity that you have because God's Spirit is living inside of you. First uh, Peter 4.11, I love this. He says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that all things in God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, as you're, as you're speaking, you're speaking as if. He doesn't say, it's 100% certain that you are speaking the very words of God. He's saying, as if. I mean, you, you, should, you should be uh, experiencing that moment with that kind of weight. But this person has come to me for counsel, has come to me for encouragement, and, and I want to speak carefully, I want to speak prayerfully, such that what I'm giving them is something that God has given me for the world. I don't think this needs to be weird. I think this is one of the reasons that people run away from the gift of prophecy because uh, some Christians have made this gift weird. And so they, they, you know, you may have some experiences with it where they go, I have a gift of prophecy. I have a word from God from you, for you. And the way they speak is as if they really are speaking the very words of God. They're not. They're not. And, and so those words have to be weighed, they have to be sifted, they have to be considered, but they ought not be rejected, right? even if it's weird. But I don't think it has to be weird. I think it can be part of the day-in, day-out life in the local church. And again, it's, it's something that's happening in a sermon, it's something that's happening in a small group discussion, it's something that's happening over coffee, as, as a friend is asking for help with something. Situation, and so this is again where it needs to come from a place of humility, right? And 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 and, and so this humility is offering this up to be considered. And so those that are gifted more along these lines, uh, those that I appreciate, those that I'm more uh, willing to lean into and really listen to, are those that come to me saying. I think this is what the Lord is saying. I want, to cons- I want to offer this up to you. And you need to pray about this. Right? That's the kind of humility that I think is helpful in these kinds of situations. And so as you're weighing it, again, you're, you're, you're asking yourself, first and foremost, is it biblical? Are they saying something that's not biblical? If they're not, then, then you know, it's, it's, not, it's not from God. It's from another spirit. And that, that's scary. That's part of why this has to be taken really seriously. In a highly charged, kind of spiritual environment where, where people can get in there that aren't necessarily filled with God's spirit, but are, are being acted upon by other spirits, the demonic, they can get in there and they can start speaking spiritual language and doing spiritual stuff and it can really wreak havoc. And so the, the, the necessity to think about what the Bible says, which means you've got to read your Bible, you've got to know your Bible, so you can actually these kinds of things. Another thing to be thinking is, is this being confirmed in other ways? Has two other people said this to you? Oh, well maybe there's something to it. Or is the person speaking of a situation that they should have no knowledge of? This is what I, I, I definitely wake up. Somebody say, hey, I was praying about you the other day. Lord brought this to mind. Is there anything to that? Uh, Yeah. No one knows about that, except me, and now you somehow, right? It's, it confirms, 
wow, this person is, is talking to the omnipotent God, and the omnipotent God is giving them insider information about me, and it confirms that, that they're legitimate. Uh, is it resulting in me having a right view of myself and God and others? Again, it's tied into the biblical understanding uh, as well. But if, if it's puffing you up, especially, <clears throat> danger. And what I've noticed is some folks who are walking around telling people they have a word from God, oftentimes those words from God are really puffing up the person. Like God's saying, you're going to have awesome life, you're going to be an incredible speaker, you're going to travel the world, thousands of people are going to... Uh, really? Like, okay. And oftentimes it's puffing up. And that, that's when water bells ought to go off, and you're like, okay, thanks, I'll pray about that. And, uh, have a nice day. Unless there's some kind of confirmation. Oh, actually, I have this opportunity to speak in front of hundreds of thousands. Yeah, that's that seems to be in track with what God is doing. And then lastly, I think this is just a, a great, just in general, if you remember anything about how that and way, prophecy, is it pointing me to Christ? Is it pointing me to Jesus? Is it making much of Jesus? Jesus tells us that the role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Him. That means shed light on Jesus, point to Jesus, make much of Jesus. So if the person that's giving you the, the prophecy is not making much of Jesus, even if they're making much of the Holy Spirit, but nothing much of Jesus, something's wrong. You need to, you need to vet that. You need to weigh, weigh that. But if it's making much of Christ, the result is, is making much of the gospel, then that, that, that is a good sign that this is from God. So the, the gift of prophecy, I, I'm going to use this little phrase uh, it's, it's one who is a timely truth-teller. <coughs> timely truth-teller. So those, those who get to teaching, which is also a verbal gift, uh, are not necessarily as, they're not timely. Right? They're like, these are important doctrines that Christians need to learn, and we're going to start with this doctrine, and then we're going to teach this doctrine, and we're going to teach this doctrine, and we're going to learn this book of the Bible, and, and we need teachers. We need them. But this is different. This is different than, than just delivering some truth that we all need. Kind of like, let's take our vitamins today, right? This is something that is timely. It is penetrating. Because not only are they speaking truth, but they have insight into the context that they're speaking truth in. So what I mean by that, uh, they can be speaking to an individual, and they have supernatural insight into the context of where that individual is in their lives. And the only way they would know that is because God has given them that. My campus uh, pastor, and then the, later he's the pastor I served under in Oklahoma, he definitely had this gift. And we would be, I'd be helping him uh, serve at a conference or a convention somewhere, and we'd be doing a workshop, and we would be talking to, to, to students, and the student would be asking him some questions, and he'd be talking to them, and then he would say, you know what, I think this is what's going on. And he would just zero in on it. And I mean, the student was just like crying, and going, oh, how'd you know that? And he's like, the Lord just gave it to me in this moment. But he, he, could, he could have insight into the context of that situation. They can also have insight in the context of a group, or an institution, or even our own culture. So Christians are, that, are, that are really good at zeroing in, like, like let's say in a small group, and they're zeroing in on whatever the particular dysfunction is in that group, they're saying, this is a problem. We need to deal with this. And maybe you're in a small group and you're like, oh, that person is driving me crazy. <laughs> no. They're exercising a gift. And they're discerning the context of what's going on in that, in that group, and they're speaking truth in a timely way into that context. And again, in our culture as well. Like understand our culture and then speak truth into the culture. So some of the folks maybe that you even read that just have a sense of what's going on in the culture and they can speak to it in a real penetrating way. That truth that they speak is both bad news and good news. It's bad news and it's good news. Uh, the bad news is that people are sinners. And they're rooting that out, whether it's in the individual, or it's in the small group, or it's in the church, or it's in the culture. They have this unction 
to root out sin, to be the corrector in chief. And, and they can't help themselves oftentimes. God is saying, God is God, God pointed out, it's a gift. It's a gift, and it cleanses the church. It cleanses the, the individual, it cleanses our culture to, to speak truth in a timely way and to call out sin. It is indeed tough love. It's tough love. And it's desperately needed in the church. I remember having one who was very strong in, in, in the gift of prophecy on our staff for a good while. And uh, every staff meeting, he was pointing out something wrong. And so it was either something wrong with me, or something wrong with the church, or something wrong with someone else. And it was correct, correct, correct. It was exhausting. <laughs> and you know, and, and I would like start going into staff meeting wondering, oh my, what's going to happen today? And so it was definitely being uh, used in a way that was not always helpful, but it was a gift. And there were some things I changed because he spoke into those things and said, I see this with clarity that I, I didn't see. So, but, but it has a bad news component to it. A bad news component. It also has a good news component to it. It has a vision for the future, God's preferred future, which is part of what drives them to correct, because they don't just see that they want to correct something. They want to usher in the preferred future that God has for the individual, for the church, for the small group, for the culture, whatever it is that they're speaking into. This is the Old Testament prophets as well, right? They always had bad news and good news. Bad news, you're seeing Israel, and there's going to be discipline, and the Syrians are going to come in and wipe you out, but God has a great plan for you, right? We're, we're going to enter into a new season, and we're going, to, we're going to repent, we're going to move toward Him, it's going to be fruitfulness. The New Testament prophet functions much the same way. There's, there's, a, there's a corrector in chief, but they're also a vision caster. And, and they're saying, this is what God has. In his preferred future, this is what he is calling us to. Notice that the prophet has a little footnote. So we're back to Romans 12, 5, uh, verse 6. It says, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. So it's those in a little footnote right next to the when he says, Prophecy. He doesn't do that for all the gifts, but he does it for, he, for this gift. And what he's saying, and really this is true of all gifts, is, is that these gifts are going to be as effective as the person using the gift is mature in Christ. <clears throat> so the measure of faith, the proportion of faith that they have is the measure of maturity that they have in Christ. How humble are they? How, how much have they come to the place where they depend on the grace of the gospel and the power of the Spirit to exercise their gift? That will determine how fruitful their gift is. And so he said they ought to be able to uh, use their gift of prophecy according to that maturity, according to that uh, proportion of faith. And I think he gives this warning because verbal gifts can be downright abusive, especially the prophet. And so they can just cut through a church like scorched earth, man. Just, just correcting and correcting and speaking truth and correcting and correcting and speaking truth to the point that when people see them walk into the, you know, the back room there, they've got their coffee and they're like, okay, I'm going to go talk to someone else. I don't, I don't need to be corrected today. <clears throat> and they lose the hearing. So what gets the gift at that point? If they, they no longer have a hearing for the truth that, that they are delivering. <coughs> Uh, they will sometimes, their, their mouth will be way out in front of their actual life. They will lack holiness while calling others to holiness. Doesn't work. It doesn't work well. People don't want to hear that. I, I remember at a, uh, a freshman in college, I was a college pastor when I was in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and this kid started coming to our, uh, our, our college ministry. And he would literally come to my office every other day. And he'd say, hey, Robert, you got some, got some time? Yeah, I got some time to sit in sit at my office. And uh, he would, he'd start correcting me, correcting the, the ministry, correcting other people. And you know what? Some of it was right on. And some of it was helpful. And then on the other hand, it drove me crazy. 
see him at the window, I'm like, oh, to turn the lights off and lock the door and hide. You know? I, I don't need this every other day, okay? But he's just an immature prophet. Right? He hadn't yet gotten to that place where he could exercise the gift of a way uh, that was uh, helpful. Now, prophets are also very hard on themselves. So they have that same discernment that they, that they have for others and institutions and culture. They have that for themselves too. And so they, do, they can be pretty hard on, on themselves as well. I was going to ask you if you thought you had it. You raise your hand. But I won't do that to you. Okay. Um, probably by now, you, you're listening to this and you go, nah, yeah, that's me. All right. Okay. Well, let me, let me give you some helpful ways of thinking about your gift, how to grow in your gift. Um, how, how, how to uh, use it appropriately. Number one, got six things here, so get your pen out. Number one, use it. Use it. You may have had your hands slapped so many times, you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to shut up. I'm not going to say No, 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 no. Use it. And this is true of all the gifts. These gifts don't grow, they don't mature if you don't use them. And so, Hopefully, if Jesus is at the center of the church and the culture is humility, we've got enough grace in this in this uh, congregation where all the gifts can be worked out, and, and we can give grace and truth accordingly for, for this gift to um, to mature and to grow. So use it. Number two, humble yourself. Humble yourself. You get worked up. And, and, and you do, you, you're acting like Jeremiah. I'll drop off, you know? <laughs> Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Oftentimes, God takes prophets through suffering so that they will be humble. <laughs> Welcome to the end of the process. Right, so he, he will take you through the, quote, school of prophets. And oftentimes, that is some, some struggles and sufferings and challenge. In order to humble you, so that you can be effective with your with your gift. Uh, number three, learn to pray before opening your mouth. You need to build that discipline into your life. That you, you've got a verbal gift. I have to do this myself, where, where I've got verbal gifts, and so I hear someone presenting a problem, and I'm already beginning to, to come up with the answer in my mind, and I'm, not, I'm no longer listening to them, and I'm praying, and not praying. I, I, I'm constantly having to coach myself up, like, no, no, no. Listen, pray, ask the Lord to reveal in this moment, and, and so he, he will help you. He will help you. But just build, build that discipline in to pray before you uh, open your mouth. So use it, humble yourself, learn to pray. Uh, number four, learn to love. Learn to love. All these gifts need to be expressed with love. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but um, to, to, to really be asking yourself, am I delivering this because I'm really excited about the truth claim or about exercising my gift or am I actually wanting to love this person that I'm talking to? And it may mean that tough love is the appropriate love. So I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying back off a tough love. But just make sure it's love and not just tough. Okay, so use it. Humble yourself. Pray before opening your mouth. Learn to love. And this is tied in together. All these are kind of tied in like a chain here. But um, you must learn to live in community. The problem can become a loner. And, and some of that is because they, they had to be the corrector in chief and nobody wants to hang out with them. But they really need the body. They need someone with mercy to be close to them so, so that they can glean from them. And the person with mercy needs to glean from the prophet so they have more of a backbone. Right? But the prophet needs someone with mercy so that they have more compassion. The prophet needs to hang out with an encourager, with a teacher. Like, they, they need all, all these different gifts to glean from and learn from. And so as that uh, goes back and forth, the gifts become more, more fruitful. And then lastly, uh, and most importantly, make sure that the gospel is at the center of your prophecy. Whatever it is you're saying on behalf of God, it needs to be gospel-centered. 
And what message is more prophetic than the gospel? None. Think about a bad news, good news message. Talk about a timely message where we had no hope. No, no, no matter of, of living, of trying, of, of trying to figure this life out, was working with us, and then we heard the bad news of the gospel where we found out we were sinners. Talk about offensive. Talk about tough love. And that we were separated from God because of that sin. That's really bad news. But if we're a Christian, that we, we came face to face with that news and the despair of that news, but it didn't stop there. We were also told a good news, that this sinner has a Savior. And that through the death of Christ, we can have our sins forgiven and we can be brought into relationship with Him and live in the preferred future that God has for us. So this is a very prophetic message, that you said. And it ought to be at the center of anything we say on behalf of God. We're reminded of this every time we come to the table. This good news, bad news table. Right? I mean, think, think about Jesus on the night in which he's being betrayed the very following night he'll be crucified he takes bread, he breaks it, he gives it to them saying take eat, this is my body it's going to be broken for you this, this, this sounds horrific that something I did would require a savior to be broken for me in the same way, he took the cup, and after he blessed the cup, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for you, shed for many, for the forgiveness of those sins. There's good news. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. You may be hearing that good news and wanting that preferred future that God has for you this morning. Maybe for the very first time. And I want to encourage you to reach out to God in prayer, even in this moment, asking Him to forgive you and bring you into relationship with Him. And He will do it. He will do it. For others of us, it's a, it's a reminder that God in His mercy has reached out to us to both give us the tough love of the reality of where we were as sinners separated from God, but also the good news that we can be forgiven and we can be brought back in relationship with Him, which also means brought into relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that part of what that means is that God is bringing to mind things that we need to say to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to build them up in faith. And those are biblically saturated, Holy Spirit guided kinds of things and we're always going to be vetting and weighing and making sure that these things are of God. But this is so important for the building up of the body of Christ. And so we celebrate that as we come together to take the bread and the cup. If you're here this morning and you're investigating the faith and you're just beginning to uh, learn about it and, and ask some questions and you know, you'd be like, I'm not a Christian. I'm just here to check things out. I, I want to say I'm really glad that you're here. And I want to encourage you during this time just to remain in your seat and to pray and think about what you're hearing and, and then to reach out to someone after the service and continue the conversation. Either with somebody that's a friend here or maybe uh, I can have that conversation. I'll be around in the front after the service as well. But just take this time to pray and to think about what you're hearing. So let's pray. God, thank you. You are God who speaks. You are God who reveals. Uh, you have, have given us your word. So we don't have to guess who you are. But we can actually know you. And so we're grateful for that. And, and grateful that you're able to deliver uh, your word. At least in a, a way of, of building up the church on a regular basis. Through your, your broken vessels here. Lord. 
also of the poor. And so may this be a church where you're delivering timely truth to all of us in an ongoing way, week in, week out, small rooms, conversations, Lord, that we would be built up as your body, that we would grow and mature and be on a mission to reach others with this gospel that has changed our lives. And we, we pray this blessing over this time, Lord, over the bread and the cup and our time uh, together as well. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.